Welcome to the Alchemy of Business Show with your host, Steve Rogers. The Alchemy of Business Show is a podcast that mixes practical, actionable business solutions with soulful insights for anyone seeking deeper meaning in their lives and greater success in their work. Steve will be featuring purpose-driven leaders from all walks of life and getting insight into their journeys from failures to triumphs. So tune in to transition, transform, and evolve in every dimension of your business and life. And now your host of the Alchemy of Business show, Steve Rogers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Whether you are listening on iTunes through uh, audio version, or maybe you're on video, you're watching this on Roku or YouTube, however you got here, thank you, thank you for being on the show, The Alchemy of Business. We are always taking time to pause and talk with leaders who are helping us make wiser decisions, finding ways to create higher profits and abundance in our life, and also finding higher purpose in our life. And this guest that I have today, I'm thrilled to have on. I have a lot of history with this guy. I know him back in the days from probably 25 or more years ago when he was pounding the pavement being a real estate agent and not just a real estate agent, but a top, top, top of the list real estate agent we're going to talk about. Mr. Chris Heller, who we have on the show today, has had a phenomenal career. Talk about a guy that transitions and transforms and reinvents himself. Uh, he really is become an industry icon. He's a thought leader. He's a two-time CEO of a very large operations. He formerly was the CEO of Keller Williams' entire operation nationally and internationally. This is one of the largest franchises in the country doing more transactions than any other company in history. He was running that as the CEO. He then went on to be involved in being the CEO of Mellow Home, where he was the chief executive officer in 2018. And he is known to have this very driven, charismatic kind of leadership because he's got this extraordinary ability to help keep teams together by his own example. He's a very disciplined guy who really knows how to have processes that work and still keep a human touch. Currently, Chris has now stepped into more of the tech world of real estate, and he's the chief real estate officer of Ojo Labs. And this is where he's shaping partnerships and strategies with other brokerages and entities within the United States and pulling them together and so that real estate professionals and con consumers can have a better way to communicate using AI, using human touch, and using uh, expertise and making sure that the consumer gets what they want. So I'm thrilled to have Mr. Chris Heller on the show. Chris, welcome. Thanks, Steve. Hey, you did that pretty good. I think you hit, you nailed everything. Oh, great. Well, thanks. Well, glad to have you on the show. Like I said, I mean, I remember being uh, in Prudential in the Encinitas office back and walking in and literally seeing you. You were the, one of the first guys to have stand-up calling booths and you had your team like on regiments. And I would walk in and you know some agents would be at the coffee machine and some agents would be talking and some agents would kind of be strolling around and some would be doing business. You were like a machine. You were just like committed and driven and you knew what you needed to do. So let's tell the viewers, how did you get into real estate in the first place? And how did you become so successful in real estate, literally becoming one of the top in the country and then top globally as well? So let's talk about your journey in that space first, and then I'm going to re reflect on some of the other things you did along that way. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was just texting last night with the guy who got me into real estate. Uh, I got talked into getting into real estate. That's how I got into it. Uh, I had met a broker who for three years, yeah, this is before text messages. So for three years, would write me notes. Would yes. call me every well, time. Handwritten format, yes. Handwritten <laughs> format. He would call me. He every time I saw him, he tried to get me to come and join him. And uh, I was in between. Uh, I had just sh shut down a company. I was just about to start back up again. I went to meet with him about leasing some space, and he said. And then he gave me the pitch again, and I, I, I think he just caught me at a weak moment. I said, okay, I'll give it a try. And that was in, uh, I joined him in November, this was November of 1988. And in 1989, I was rookie of the year in San Diego and had sold 27 homes. In November of 88, when I joined him, I didn't know anything about real estate. Um, I mean, I owned a townhome. I bought a townhome when I was 20 years old. And so I I, under, I knew what real estate was, but I had no idea about real estate sales and what, what was involved. So what do you think you had or what ecosystem were you in or the environment that allowed you at that young age to become rookie of the year, not knowing much about real estate except of buying a piece? What components existed in that year or two first that allowed you to excel versus someone else? Yeah, you know, um, so there was one thing that I that I still have, that I had then. And that was that that burning desire and the willingness to do whatever it took. Um, that year, Steve, I, I literally worked seven days a week. Um, he was a former Marine who used to get in like at 6.30 or 7. 
I made sure I was the first one there. So I'd get in at like six or 6.30. I was always the last one to leave that office at eight or nine o'clock at night. I worked as much as anyone could humanly work that first year because I knew I didn't have the knowledge, the skills, the personality, the intelligence. I didn't have anything. All I knew is I could work hard. So it was just sort of blood, sweat, and tears that in that first year. But in that first year, I then learned a lot that allowed me to even grow bigger and faster and not have to work as much after that. And then during that path, when you started selling this house and making these commissions, before that, what were you doing? What were you doing to be able to afford to buy a townhome at 20 years old? Because I remember it five vaguely. Didn't you own laundry mats or something or <laughs> coin operated something? That came later and, oh, I still came later. Own, okay. and, I, and I still own that. Okay. <laughs> when I was a sophomore in college, my dad called me and said, hey, you're going to get your real estate license and come up to Lake Tahoe and work for the summer. And he was managing a timeshare resort. So I said, okay. Uh, and I, I went up there and, and then halfway through the summer, he got an opportunity to go to San Diego and manage a resort. And so I went with him and I started selling timeshares. Now I was as shy and introverted as anyone could be. I, um, through my first two years of college, I never took a class where you had to give a, a presentation. In fact, um, I rarely talk about this, but I, after two years full-time, I then went another like five or six years of part-time because I was working selling timeshares and I took classes at night, but I would never take a class where you had to give a presentation because I was just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Now, what's interesting is I could meet with, you know, husband and wife and do a 90 minute presentation. Didn't have a problem with that, but in groups, it was super uncomfortable. So I was selling timeshares. I got very good at, I was so different than the rest of the timeshare people. I was a young guy. The rest of them were, came from different industries like car sales and things like that, but I got good at it. And, and after three years, I then, I just actually got burnt out. It's the one time in my life that I, I have ever experienced that. But I, I experienced, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do another presentation of that type. And so then I went to work for a marketing company. And so for the next three years, I either worked at or owned a, a marketing company in the timeshare industry, marketing for timeshare resorts. And that's where I met this real estate broker uh, who, who ultimately convinced me to get into residential real estate. Got it. So those skills were all adaptable. I remember when I was going from, I was in the hotel restaurant industry before I got in real estate. And I think I got in real estate when I was like 26 or 27. But I remembered it was such a phenomenal training ground for customer service, long hours, multitasking, anticipating what people needed, making people happy. You know, And when I said, okay, I'm going to raise my my price point from steaks and wines to condos and houses, it was a big jump, but it was amazing how much of that was adaptable. So it sounds like you took what you learned in the timeshare stuff, or even obviously some of the stuff you took in college and adapted it over. And in the real estate space, you were also a little different than many, I mean, many salespeople. If you walk into a real estate office, they're kind of like sometimes loud and out, you know, like outgoing and gregarious and kind of more party kind of oriented and kind of loud, you know, but they're not always good business people. And they're sometimes not as analytical or they don't always have the business acumen, but they have this personality. You were this guy that everyone sometimes, Chris, was surprised at how much you continued to increase year after year after year because you just did it different than others and you just knew what your lane was. Uh, so it's kind of like the tortoise and the hare. How do, how do you describe yourself if you were to put yourself in one of those categories? Are you more like the tortoise or the hare? If you look at my career, you'd probably, it's kind of a hybrid, but most people would say it was looked more like the tortoise because I was just super consistent and super persistent and just kept going and going when most people, you know, burned out or flamed out or gave up. You know, it was, you know, naturally I'm, I'm nature, I'm analytical, you know, my mind just works that way. And so it was easy for me to almost a common sense approach to a business where most people didn't and know that, Hey, if I follow this schedule or if I did these activities, I would get the results versus, you know, flying by the seat of my pants, which is right, what most right. tend, tend, tend to do, yeah. or tended to yeah. do. It was a little easier for me from, from that standpoint. But I, I also, you know, I didn't have any choices. Like when I got into real estate, I had just gotten married like in August of that year. And this was going to be like what I was going to do. And, I really approached it like I had no other option and I was going to, you know, just be the best that I could be. And that's always been, you know, been my goal. Well, and you have that drive. Do you think drive in people is something you're either born with or you don't have it? Like an internal hunger for drive? What do you, what's your, cause you're a very driven person. And I'm just curious what you're at, what you're, you've come to believe now at this point in your life, you've seen a lot of people, a lot of salespeople, a lot of you know leaders is drive inbred or can you learn drive? I think, Steve, that there's things that happen 
contribute to it in a big way. And usually when you're kids, right? When some, you know, there's events that happen when we're kids and that sort of shapes us or, or causes us to go in a certain direction. Whether that was there when you're born, I, I don't think so. I, I, yeah, I have four kids and, and I've seen lots of babies. And when you see all those babies laying in the nursery in the hospital, you, you can't tell which ones have drive and which ones don't. So it's, it's probably a combination. I mean, there's some that's inherent in who the person is. But I also think you're largely shaped by, you know, events that happen in your life that, you know, catapult you in one direction or another. Well, the, you, you definitely had that drive on everyone that was some, someone said, boy, that guy is driven. And you were you put blinders on and you knew what you were doing. And at the time, this is when cold calling uh, was very, very, very predominant. And now in this day and age with, you know, being able to block calls and not no call list, it's a different way of doing business, which is part of the, we're going to talk about later how you evolved into tech. And how you talked into AI and different marketing strategies. But at the time, that was something a lot of people couldn't do. They couldn't handle the rejection. They couldn't handle people saying no to them. And it's interesting you've gone on to write this book. We're going to talk about it in a little bit called Dominant Thoughts. But back then, uh, and you had this guy who was this military guy who was disciplined and you know probably was that you know military kind of a uh, you know tough kind of exterior. So how did you in your early days, for anybody that's listening in that is dealing with rejection now, whether it's rejections of contracts not getting signed, deals that aren't coming together, uh, relationships that aren't working, where there's this, this, and you have to keep going of rejection. How did you get through that? Because there had to be a lot of it. Yeah, well, there was, um, I'll tell you where there was a lot of it, and that was in selling timeshares. And ah, so yeah. there's, there's two things that I think I, I greatly benefited from while I was doing that. One was massive rejection. And now, again, because of my natural personality style, I'm not, um, you know, introverted people aren't as impacted by what what people think. Um, I think, you know, when you're when you're very sociable and very everything else, you, you know, really matters to you what what people think about you. And, and my goals were always way more important to me than what someone thought about me. Um, Now, do I want to be a good person? And do I, of course, uh, but I wasn't going to be run by you know whether people liked me or not, or said yes or no to me. And if they said no, it wasn't going to. I wasn't going to take that personally and be crushed and and everything else. Um, so you know, handling rejection was a little easier for me for those two reasons. Uh, and then the discipline just came from watching all the other agents. And I was in an office with sixty or seventy agents. I was new. I was young. And watching what they were doing and pretty much just trying to do the opposite because I didn't mm-hmm. see any of them like getting great results. And yeah. and I wanted to get great results. And isn't it funny when you do something different than what other people want or expect you to do, the resistance you get from that? I even remember at the time when I was in my mature leadership about that, talking to managers about this agent just won't do this or they won't come to our meeting or they won't do this. And I remember you were one of those people. It was like, you said, look, this is my business. I'm a CEO of my own company. I'm an independent contractor. I'm going to run a business. And you always hit your numbers or exceeded them. But you were not in the, you didn't just go with the flow because everyone else did it. You did yeah. beat to your own drum. So also, is that something you also had as a kid that you always beat to your own drum? But did you learn to how important that decision-making process was? I think, I think that was definitely learned as, as I got into business. You know, as a, as a kid, there were certain things that happened you know, growing up that caused me to, that caused me to become basically an overachiever and, and, you know, to show the world that I could, I could do something. And, and some people <laughs> over the years, people have joked, if you ever want Chris to do something, just tell him he can't. Mm-hmm. And, but those, you know, it wasn't so much marching to my own drum. It was getting really clear on what I needed to do day by day, hour by hour to achieve my goals. And I wasn't going to I was going to do everything I could to to block out any external things that would get in that way. And, you know, going to, and it's not that I'm not a team player. Actually, I love, I grew up playing team sports. I love being on teams and winning as a team. But if it wasn't contributing to helping me, you know, achieve the goals that I had, then I would say, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to participate. Well, I, and I don't remember too, when you were asked to be on panels, you're like, yeah, what's the date? What's the time? Let me block that in. I had some prospecting time booked then, but I'll move it. Uh, let me give enough notice. So I remember you would contribute 
and tell people how you did stuff. So it wasn't like you weren't a team player, but you definitely, uh, for being in the mainstream of how many of the fish swam, you were swimming in a different stream and exceeding a lot of things. And finally, people just went, "Well, leave him alone. He's kicking ass." I mean, what's <laughs> the why? Why bucket, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah something, something must be working. But you're right. I mean, there is resistance. I remember at the end of my first year, and you can appreciate this because you you, you, came, you know came from the same industry. 1989. I hired an assistant, and back then people real estate agents didn't have assistance and right. all the agents in the office were like, you know, first of all, I was younger than almost all of them, if not all of them. And they say like, who do you think you are hiring an assistant? You know, like, what, what are you the president now? And I'd be like, <laughs> well, you've been stuffing envelopes for four hours. Right. I'm going to pay someone to do that so I can go sell more houses. Right. Exactly. So just applying, I like to think it was common sense. I don't know, business sense, whatever it was. I was just, it just made sense for me to do certain things and not yeah. do other things. Well, you were a pioneer in that. And I know I want to come back from the break here because we got to jump on a break and talk about coaches, mentors, business development. I know that you're a big sponge in the early days as I was of personal development, coaches, taking process. And you were one of the people similar. I did similar as well. If I was going to get a coach or go to a program, I would assess what they'd say. I see if it, if it had merit, even if it was different than what I would normally do. And I would implement it and try it and see if it worked. I wasn't afraid to implement taking risk. And you were one of those people. I mean, you had um, people guiding you because you asked for guidance and then you did the work. So I'd like to come back on this next segment and talk about how you first started incorporating mentoring or coaching or uh, seeking somebody outside of yourself. And now in later years, we're also going to roll into how you have become a mentor and guide to many on your on your journey as well along the way. So uh, everybody keep listening in here on the Alchemy of Business. We will re be right back with Chris Heller. We're going to learn about how he went from real estate to CEO of one of the largest real estate companies in the country. And now he's a tech guru in some way as well. Let's find out about that. So we'll be right back. Thanks for listening in. Hello, and welcome back to the Alchemy of Business show. Thanks for listening in or viewing in, however you got here. We appreciate it. We have Mr. Chris Heller, who is a man of many talents. We've been talking about his early days of going from a rookie of the year to one of the top real estate agents in the country and his process in doing that. We're going to get into how he became in the CEO space, and now he went on to write books and various things. So we're going to come back, though. Before the break, Chris, um, I know that you and you were talking about how crazy it was in the early days to hire a assistant as a real estate agent, and now it's kind of just par for the course, but you were a pioneer in that. Uh, and I know that you also were a pioneer in getting a coach where you had a real estate coach. Not only did you have a real estate coach, I think you evolved to then hiring personally one of the top real estate coaches in the country to coach you personally. Can you share with me how you got into this specialized learning, um, understanding how to do your craft better at that time? Yeah, I've always, um, I'm, I'm learning based and I'm always, I'm always wanting to get better. Um, in fact, Steve, I have a coach today and I, I messaged him yesterday and hey, I said, can you talk? Because we have a scheduled talk. So I still have a coach to this day. Um, so that that desire has always been there to learn more, to get better, to be able to do better. Uh, the first day that I heard that there was such thing as a as a business coach or a real estate coach, I hired him. It's mm -hmm. like I remember the day it was it was in 1996 and um, and I've had a coach ever since then. And, and sometimes I've had multiple coaches. And like, as you said, I, I became a coach for a while. Um, so strong believer in, in, in you know, coaching, mentoring. Um, it's it's for me, it was like there's no I want to go somewhere. If someone can help me get there faster or not make as many mistakes as I normally would, why would I not want that help? Right, right. Well, you also very fit. You've also been pretty fit, lean, mean kind of guy. And if I remember, you're always pretty committed on discipline workouts. So I looked at that as well. If, I mean, many people have physical fitness trainers and they hire trainers at gyms or they athletes. You look at Olympians. I mean, they have coaches to get them to the level. So when it started becoming coaching in business, I remember when real estate agents started doing that, like yourself, I, as I was a real estate manager, I hired a real estate coach when I was a manager. And I think I had my first coach when I was 27 or 20, no, maybe 28 or 29. And I also have a coach to this day. I've had a coach, you know, every year for, for decades. Um, and for me, coaching also does, gives me specific 
uh, specific knowledge and accountability to what it is I said I was going to do. And it also gives me access to other people who are doing equal or more than what I'm doing and a support group to have the ability when you have stumbles and falls of how to create some camaraderie and to get back on the horse. So did you have that similar experience? Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's, and you said it, I, I, I looked at the same thing. Like no one reached there. No one reached the, the top of their field without help, without a coach, right? Every Olympic athlete had coaches, every professional athlete had coaches their whole life. And then as professionals, they still have coaches. So I wanted to get to the, to the top. So I knew I wasn't going to be able to do that on my own. And whether it's the extra accountability, whether it's, um, someone to voice ideas off of or bounce ideas off of or, or someone that's just there that can help you when you're struggling or whatever it might be, you know, uh, by definition, a coach also is someone that can see things that you can't see and, right. and be able to point out those blind spots that, that may be holding you back or getting in the way. Yeah, agreed. Well, you definitely were a pioneer for that for many. And so how did it feel when you went from being the rookie of the year and then not only did you go on to become rookie of the year, but a few years later, you became one of the top 10 agents in the country. And at one point, I think you were even one or two internationally for the other franchise you work for, Keller Williams. So like not only the accolades of that, of being number one, but the monetary benefit of it. Like, do you remember when you made your first year of income of a million dollars? Because uh, I remember being the award giver on stages and you'd be like, wow, this person's and, and you know, we'd always talk in sales volume or GCI. But still, that's a gross number you hit. And then it's about what you take home the net. But what you were always smart about is many people were spending huge amounts on advertising. If I remember your P&L for your business was very lean because you didn't do tons of advertising in the early days. You were muscle machine and calling. So I'm just curious how it felt when you were getting up and getting the accolades of your accomplishments every day, paying off that you're acknowledged for being the number one or number 10 or number eight in the country and your bank account is growing. How did that change your self-esteem? How did that change your, your view on life? How did that change anything that you can remember when it first started hitting some ways of, Oh my God, this just actually happened. Yeah. You know, it's super interesting when, when I look back, um, those things that happen, like the, the first year of making a million dollars, I probably spent about as much time as I'm talking right now thinking about it. Because, mm. and it was the same with the accolades and the awards. Um, the, the, we both worked for the same company for a while and we yeah. had these annual awards things. And, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but I, I told him on multiple occasions, don't give me an award. Don't spend the money on it. Donate the money. Or, or give me a dinner certificate, something I can consume, but don't don't spend hundreds of dollars on a trophy or a crystal, this or that, um, because I throw them away. And I actually did. I, I didn't want to be thinking about what happened in the past. And every award you get is for something you did yesterday. And I was always forward focused. And I didn't want to rest on what I did yesterday because that wasn't going to pay my bills tomorrow. Mm. Um, so um, I've also been blessed and cursed with, with never being satisfied. So, mm. you know, there's that, there's that constant drive and, and I've never, um, I've never been overconfident. That's for sure. And, and I always felt like I could do better and there was a lot more that I could do. So, and I'll, in fact, I'll tell you right now, I still don't think I've done my big thing. Like there is more to come and, and, you know, there are some differences now. Back then, there was there was probably less enjoyment because I was so focused and driven uh, that that you know my journey now is feels much different than it did back then, um, but still have this the same desires. Yeah, well, that's interesting, and that the uh, that you I, I do remember that now that you say that about the awards. Some agents like would throw a fit that their award wasn't big enough, <laughs> and you, yours was. Oh, I don't really need that. It's going to go in the trash. You should keep it. And, and, and you know, kind of thing. Do you think that is I, one of you know the book? One of the books I just wrote re, recent years is called uh, Iggy over Ego, or the power of Iggy, inviting good in or inviting God in versus edging good out. So, do you think that was also not resting on your laurels and not wanting to look in the past? Was that also a way for you partially keeping your ego in check, or did you not look at it in that way? I mean, I, that may have been a byproduct of it, but I didn't look at it that way. It was more, um, I was so focused on, 
I'm, I'm building the discipline to do the things I needed to do that I, I was always fearful that anything like that might just be a chink in the armor or the first chink in the armor. Like mm -hmm. if I, if I rested on my laurels or celebrated too much, that that would be the beginning of the end. And so I wanted to make sure that I didn't, I didn't allow those things to happen. Yeah. Well, you have a quote here that we found on one of your slides, uh, doing the right thing, even when the right thing is hard to do. Noel, you've got that slide on six. So this is, is this something that was part of your motto from the early days or did you have to grow into this? I, I'm sure I, I grew into it. You, you know, we learn by our mistakes and, um, and I'm fortunate enough that I make, I, I made and make lots of mistakes. So I get to learn a lot. And there's certain ones that are really painful, and and so you make sure you don't want to do it. So you know, it didn't it didn't take long for me to figure out that hey, I don't want to ever have to deal with that again. So I'm going to make sure I do the right thing, even if it even if it means someone's going to be upset, even if it means um, I'm going to lose a sale or you know whatever whatever the situation is. It's just it's the right path. Yes doing the right thing. Well, and along your path, you've met some really interesting people. I mean, I know uh, when you did start doing some marketing and you then had your team, you were one of those rare people that not only were you not, you were the machine for so long that if Chris stepped out of the seat, sometimes the lead generation went down because you were the machine, but you were one of those people, not everyone can do this, that figured out how to keep their machine running by putting other key quality people in place. And your machine still to this day runs in San Diego at a very high level. And you're not out listing houses every day. I know that you're out running other companies and doing different things. Uh, and I know along the way you brought in people like Barbara Corcoran on slide four here as someone as an endorsement of uh, 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 Noel's pop-up slide four there. Barbara Corcoran, an icon kind of from the uh, industry in New York and then went on to be on Shark Tank and a lot of stuff. So when did you switch over this? Okay, I'm climbing the ladder. I'm number one. I've got this money that's happening. I also want to start uh, forming my image in public perception or marketing and advertising. This, this kind of campaigns that you started doing, was it prepping for the transition to allow other ways to create business generation for your team to grow? It was partially, yes. It was prepping for a transition of where I was gonna be stepping out of the business. Uh, in 2008, I got a phone call from the, the CEO of Keller Williams and said, um, hey, you're gonna be in Austin next week when you do. I'd like." like to meet with you. Um, I said, great, happy to. And he said, I'll tell you why. We have been years, been thinking about expanding the company internationally. And, and we aren't quite ready to do it yet because we need to hit certain goals in North America first, but we're going to hit those goals. Um, and we haven't done it because we don't have, we've never had the right person. And we, we think you'd be the right person to do it. And if you're interested in that, I'd, you know, I want to talk to you about that. I said, well, I can tell you right now I'm interested. So I didn't even know what I was saying I was interested in. Or, <laughs> um, but I knew I knew it sounded like a big, big challenge and a big opportunity. Yeah, if the CEO of, of the largest real estate company in the country, uh, I'm not sure how but they were at that time, but they were in the top three or four, if not number one, yeah. calls you directly uh, and says that, it, you definitely get your ears perked up, I would guess. <laughs> yeah. So I knew then that I was going to have in the next year or two, I was going to not be able to spend the time I was spending on my real estate team. So I had to to your point, I had to replace myself and, and I was the main engine. Um, and so that's when I started the marketing and radio and television ads to replace the business, uh, bringing in the business that I knew that I wasn't going to be there to do. And to your point, here we are. I actually started that role in 2010. So it's you know 12 years later and my team in San Diego is still going and still selling lots of houses, but without me for the last you know more than a decade. Yeah, congratulations on that. That's not always common in the industry. Sometimes people are only as good as their last deal uh, themselves and they get up fearful every morning that they're not going to be able to keep their machine running. And you've done a beautiful job of transitioning that in. So kudos, we can all learn from that on how do you keep something that's been dear to you with sweat equity every day to get up and keep it moving forward, even in even in industries that doesn't seem like it's exactly set up to do it that way. Uh, Chris has done that himself and also taught many other people how to do that. Uh, and then Chris, from that, you for not only getting this call from Gary Keller and very much as himself, his own icon in the industry, you then not only went on to take that call, but over 
over the years, you went, and I remember when you made that transition, the guy that we both worked for at the time did not take that news very well. Uh, and I remember, uh, I remember my own view as leadership at that time going, ooh, that's not how I think we should be handling this, burning bridges in that way. But you went on to take that role and you went from being this, helping them in a local level to then going to a national, international level. So how did you go from this stream of making telemarketing calls, building a team, staying focused, ready to, to go, boom, I'm going to go step into executive leadership and growth and, and at an international level. So let's talk about that's a pretty big jump. Uh, so how did that come about? And how did you jump into that? I didn't know anything about it. And uh, I had been my own boss for forever. So it was a big transition. I knew I had to learn. And there was no one at the company who was going to, going to show me. That's why they were hiring me because they said, hey, you, we need someone to figure it out. And, and that's your job to go figure it out. I had two years between when they when they first called me. It was actually um, Mark Willis, who was Gary's CEO for Gary's oh, uh, Mark, great guy, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I had two years to to prepare. And so I prepared my team for, for stepping out. And then I started to prepare myself. So I started doing tons of research on, on countries all over the world, how they did real estate there, and, and what the other brands who had already been international for a while, what they were doing, what was working, what wasn't working. And then the first year on the job, it was figuring out how we were going to do it. You know, like everything from legally how we were going to do it. So I hired the best international law firm I could find and, and the best franchise attorney I could find and, and created a master franchise document and, and all, you know, started to put the piece in and then started to focus on how are we going to do it like from a training standpoint? How are we going to do it from a technology standpoint? How are we going to do all those things? Um, how are we going to, what are we going to have to change in the, in the company's models to be able to adapt to how things were done differently in all these different countries. So it was, you know, looking back, I, I, I didn't spend any time, although there would be times late at night laying in bed where I'd be questioning, why do they think I can do this? Because mm -hmm. I don't know <laughs> that I can do this. Or, those thoughts leak in, those little pesky yeah. little uh, minions yeah. in our head, right? And um, and uh, and my my wife at the time, my, my current wife, who um, was with me then, always, always said the right thing to restore my confidence and and make sure I could get up the next day and go do what I needed to do to figure it out. But yeah, that was all new, Steve. This is a big transition, you know, being, being an executive, like that, and that wasn't a goal. Like I didn't, I wasn't like, okay, I'm going to sell real estate for this year. And then I'm going to become the president of the company, then the CEO of the company. Like I always had a knowing that, that I was always preparing myself for something more. For the next thing. And, yes. Yeah. For the next thing. But uh, that was it. And then for, you know, then what happened during those five years the things I did worked and worked really well. And we started opening up countries all around the world. Um, and then at the end of five years, there was a leadership uh, transition and they said, Hey, we'd like you to become the CEO of the company. And, and so, but that I, I proved myself just the same right. way I got there to begin with was I got extraordinary results, you know, as an ordinary person. And, and what I learned along the ways to, through my life and, and still to this day is the results and, and those are the best type as far as I'm concerned. I wasn't asking for it. I wasn't pining for it. I wasn't trying to tear someone down to get to something. It was, hey, I'm going to do so much and such a good job that they're going to say, hey, we have an opportunity for you. And that's great advice for our listeners. I mean, to be able to have something that you figure out how to get really good at it, be your best that you can be in that thing, whether it's, let's say you're an administrator in a company, let's say you're a manager in a company, you're a salesperson in a company, you're an executive in the company, doing what you're supposed to do for that company and having phenomenal results and being tenacious and taking the skill uh, that Chris is talking about. I mean, he had, we all have imposter syndrome at some time. He was having those float into his head. Luckily he had a supportive spouse or someone who could give him those, okay, you're really, you really can do this or you are up for this. And then boom, you go back and hit it again, but just then getting results. And, you know, sometimes people want to go from A to, to, to um, T really fast. And some, it, it doesn't always work that way. I mean, getting these results, proving you can perform, driving revenue, and then people take notice. And it's also okay to along the way to give reporting progress reports on what you're doing. So the appropriate people know what you're accomplishing. But I mean, you went from, like you said, have no international presence to then boom. How much presence did you guys get internationally over like a three or four year period? Over, it was about that period of time. We opened up in over 20 countries around the world. And to this day, I am, um, whether it's on social media or whatever, i I'm still being, you know, and have friends that I made back then in Turkey and Portugal and, you know, South Africa and, you know, all over the world that 
that are still still running with the businesses that we helped them start. I love that. Well, we're going to come back with Mr. Chris Heller. We have one last break here and then we're coming back. We're going to dig into uh, his path quickly as the CEO on that, but we're going to also then jump on this last segment into what he's doing now. Uh, we're going to talk about his new book, Dominant Thoughts, and we're going to talk about what he's doing in the tech world of artificial intelligence, connecting human connection in communication and real estate. So please come back and join us. We'll be right back. Hello, and welcome back to the Alchemy of Business show. Thank you for listening in or viewing in, however you got here. We appreciate it. We are talking with one of the top leaders in the country, not only in the real estate space, but also in the tech space. Uh, Mr. Chris Heller has been sharing his uh, his journey with us of this, his bumps and hurdles, but also his successes along the way uh, from going from sales into leadership. And we were wrapping up the conversation where, Chris, all of a sudden you've helped Keller Williams go international. Uh, in 20 plus different countries. And all of a sudden, then you're tapped on the shoulder to go, hey, you want to be the CEO? How was that conversation? And during that time you were CEO, what was it like what you thought it would be? And then what was it not like what you were expecting? So I'm curious on how the, I, I remember when I was on that path as well, it's like, oh, I wasn't quite expecting this or mm, didn't think I'd juggle through this, but hey, this is really cool. So I'm just curious when you said yes, and you went, wow, I'm really at the top of the food chain for somebody who said, I'm, I'm never quite finished with achieving. Uh, that's a pretty big achievement. So how did you feel when that got accepted? It got announced and then you were in the seat. You know, it was all a progression. Like there was as I was building international, the, the owner of the company and the then CEO and president would say things like, hey, this is going to be your office someday. Or, you know, this is, you know, you could be doing this. And like there were these these hints. And, and so there, it just felt like this natural progression. You know, once it happened, um, I was just so focused on doing a good job that I really wasn't thinking about, oh, wow, I'm the CEO. I was conscious of the CEO that I was replacing was someone I, I looked up to a lot and was was a great leader and very charismatic. And so I was very conscious of not of not trying to be him uh, because I knew I couldn't and I wasn't, um, but just to be myself and to rely on the things that I knew that that worked with me. And that was a good decision and it worked real well because um, the hundred and you know fifty thousand at the time agents that we had. Um, really appreciated that because I was, in a lot of ways, I was one of them and, and now helping them, you know, achieve their goals, which ultimately helped the company achieve its goals. Just being yourself and not trying to be somebody else. I think that's good advice for all of us. And you said that kind of like nonchalantly, 150,000 agents. I want everyone to hear that. That is a massive enterprise. Of course, Chris wasn't managing every one of those people every day, but his leadership style and connecting and making decisions and leading the company. And Chris, I think you had to get over your fear of speaking uh, in front of groups by that point, hadn't you? <laughs> yeah, I, fortunately, I had gotten, I'd gotten over that long, um, many, many years earlier. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, when I think about, back about, I had a couple, we had a couple of conferences where I spoke in front of uh, like 19,000 agents, like in one room. That's like an arena. It is, uh, yeah. Um, oh, I remember seeing some pictures of you doing that. And I remember like when you were doing your thing and I would think back and I would think of you with your headsets on and your telemarketing booth doing that. And I'm like, shit, this guy's now in front of thousands of people like speaking to the audiences. And I never really knew for sure that you had an early speaking, a uh, fear of speaking in front of groups, but you clearly overcame that. So your dominant thought somehow works. So I, I want to uh, roll dominant thoughts in, but I want to come back to the Keller Williams thing for a minute after that. And then we're going to roll into another segment. But yeah. so you stayed on this path as CEO, one of the largest real estate companies in the country. This book that you just wrote, the reason I'm bringing it up now is because it had to have some play in your journey of being a CEO and all the stuff you had to maneuver there about controlling your dominant thoughts. But you recently just wrote a book. Um, you co-published or wrote the book with a friend of mine, Greg Reed, who I've known for many, many years. Uh, Greg did a book series, Three Feet from Gold. Uh, he's endorsed by the Think and Grow Rich Foundation. He's gone on to write 60 or 70 books. He's published, you know, done, uh, you know, produced like three or four films, really a, a thought leader in his own right. But you, but you uh, wrote this book, helped get uh, some of the, I think, distribution or publishing done. But how did this come about? Dominant thoughts, your thoughts determine your results. Talk to us about why you did the book and what people will take away from it and where they can get it. Why I did it and what they can take away from it are sort of related. Um, early on, you know, in my early 20s, uh, I was, again, always looking to learn and grow. So I was reading a lot of books and still read a lot of books. And some of those books I read early on were business parables, stories. 
the greatest salesman in the world by Augment, you know, uh, the richest man in Babylon, you know, those type of books. And they really had an impact on me. I mean, I actually took things out of those books and like implemented them and, and to this day have, have, have shaped who I am. So I knew if I ever wrote a book, I'd want it to be that type of book. Take all the lessons, weave it into a short story that, you know, that people could read and digest. And then I met, I met Greg and uh, we were on a podcast together. And the host said, hey, Chris, when are you going to write a book? And I said, oh, I've thought about it, but, you know, I, I don't know. And I'd have to ask Greg how to do it because he's the pro. And two, <laughs> days later, two days later, Greg called me up and said, I have a title. I have the URL. I have all the contacts. If you have the content, I'll show you how to do it. And I thought, wow, what an opportunity to have a, a mentor with me on the journey of writing the first book. So, yeah, um, that's awesome. And, and what it is, it's just it's the lessons I've learned. Some of them I learned as as the CEO, some of them I learned earlier in my career, but it's just taking those lessons that helped me achieve some of the things I've achieved and then sharing those with others, hoping it has a similar impact. Well, good. Well, I hope everyone will take it. We'll put this in the show notes in the link. If you're uh, listening to this or viewing this, you can scroll down and look right here in the screen. You're going to find a link to Amazon. Uh, Chris has told us it's also on Audible. Uh, I know it's an action-packed book. It'll be a fairly easy read because he's kept it short, but meaty and impactful. Greg Reed also is someone who's probably given some good golden nuggets on this as well. So congrats on the book, Chris, and thanks for getting it done. You know, it's interesting. You know, one of the, you were mentioning some of the books you mentioned earlier, and one of the ones I read early on, uh, um, I think, can grow rich, uh, Napoleon Hill, and putting out that mindset and what you attract, or Paulo Coelho, the alchemist, about you know once your mind is made up, the universe conspires to your success. And you're a prime example of just dressing up, showing up, doing the work, and people noticing, and you attracting people, even that you're not out like soliciting or looking for them, whether it's a CEO role, a uh, you know a publisher for a book. So it's a great lesson of sometimes we don't know where things are going to come from. We don't know where they're going to show up. We just have to have faith that the world and the universe is conspiring towards success if we're doing our best and trying to live up to that quality, which I know that you do. So when you were on the CEO path, and I want to just take another minute on this because I want to jump into some other things we're doing, but you probably had some had to have some trying days of the good, bad, and ugly on the CEO of being uh, this large operation. I'm, I know I found there was a lot of corporate politics at that level and a lot of you know different struggles. Sometimes there was more internally uh, in the team stuff at the headquarters level than there was in managing the outside part of the company. Um, so I'm curious on how your dominant thoughts worked in your favor or you had to maneuver those skills Why you were the CEO of Keller Williams? You know, every company has its issues, right? Uh, and most companies are shinier on the outside than they are on the inside. Keller Williams is a great company. I learned a lot. But in every situation, you can as learn what not to do as much as you learn what to do. They got to a point where there was just some strong difference of opinions, some strong difference of, of core values of, of was okay and what wasn't okay. And yeah, there it, that la the last year prior to my leave was was as bumpy as a year that I'd you know ever experienced. And um, with left a company that I thought I'd never leave. I'd been there since 2004. Uh, and then you find yourself spending a lot of time with your thoughts and yeah, thinking about exactly. it. Again. All right, now now what? And what did now I what? what happened? What did I do that that contributed to that? What should I have done? What what will I do differently? What did I learn? All the, all those thoughts. Yeah, when we learn what not to do as much as we what we want to do, and sometimes your dominant thoughts are you know battling back and forth. But you got pretty clear on that pretty quickly. Either a because your phone started ringing, and I know you were offered other opportunities. You went on to do mellow uh, stuff. Um, you the the with mellow, but. Now where you're focused on, and I want to take a couple minutes on this because this is your current passion project. And then we're going to jump into our Instagram stuff and then some other discussions on spirituality. But you're currently now the CEO, and I believe an investor in Ojo Labs. And if I'm not mistaken, Ojo Labs, basically a connector. It's almost like a matchmaker in real estate space for connecting consumers that want specific types of people, skills, areas, processes. And But you do it in a very seamless way, but you also are connecting human touch with AI. So is that a good assessment? And what is it you do within that company in your life right now with them? Yeah, it's a company that I met while I was the CEO at, at Keller Williams. They were a startup company. When I left, I became an early investor and an advisor. Ultimately, became a board member. And then in the middle of 2019, they said, hey, could you, we could really use you full time. It was a good time, a right time for me to, to make a change. They're, they're, I'm actually the chief real estate officer. There is a, the, founder, uh, the founder is the CEO. And, and so we had to come up with a, a new title. Uh, but you know, I, help, I help lead the company. We, are, we consider ourselves a marketplace where we have lots of consumers that find us on a, a website that we own called movoto.com. 
which is the fifth largest website in the country for real estate. And we help those consumers wherever they are in their journey with a combination of machine learning and, and human interactions. And then if and when they need to be connected to a service provider, a real estate agent or a loan loan officer, we make those introductions to, to make it a seamless you know, path for that consumer to get what they need. Uh, cool. It's, you know, I got for the last several years, I've been very involved with the technology side of the real estate business. When I was at Keller Williams, it was out of necessity because we had to figure out a lot of things. And and now it's just uh, become something I'm always like, I always like change. If for someone who's been in the industry his whole life, yes. um, I'm more of a, hey, let's figure out how to do it better, how to change it versus let's keep it how it is. Well, it's great that you weren't intimidated by technology. A lot of times with people in real estate or traditional businesses, they're kind of like, oh, I don't want to learn that. But you've dived deep first, I mean, defeat first in and different tech companies and you've learned. And I guess that just fits your personality style of, I don't know something, I'm going to learn it. If it's going to help better me or someone around me, I'm going to learn it. So, and we can't deny that technology is changing our world and continuing to change it. And this artificial intelligence, AI stuff is part of pretty much anything we have right now. It's in our phones, it's in our health app, it's in real estate connections, it's in social media. So it's part of this experience that key is how to help possibly on dominant thoughts with whoever the leaders are of those companies, make sure it's doing it for the right reasons and the right cause. So I'm sure you will keep that on track. And uh, we have about six or seven minutes here in the show, but I want to jump into a segment on that we like to do uh, kind of fun if you're up for it called instantly interesting Instagram. So if you're up for it, we only have three little steps that we go through. And uh, basically, we just took a quick dive, uh, Chris, on your photos, some of your photos on Instagram feed. We then are going to pull them up and uh, some interesting ones we thought without any context from us. And then you're going to tell us what was happening at that time and place in that photo. And then you're going to just tell us real quick, like a lightning round on each of those photos. For those of you that are listening to this and you can't see it, I'm going to describe the photo and then Chris is going to do the same. So you up for playing, Chris? I'm up for playing. I guess this is why this is why we tell people to be careful what they post on social media. Right. <laughs> we scoured and looked and found some fun things. So let's go, Noel, to the first one. So we have a slide here for instant, instantly interesting Instagram starting the show. This is if anybody remembers the Brady Bunch where they had that photo where you were looking on the show and everyone was looking at each other in the boxes when the show start off. Well, here's one that says the Heller Bunch. And it's got a bunch of these cool photos of all kinds of different people. So tell us what was happening here. I'm assuming this was around the holidays, but tell us about this photo, Chris. This was a holiday card and we wanted to do something creative. So the team, I didn't come up, the team came up with this idea and said, hey, we're going to, you know, like you said, have a be a play on the Brady Bunch. So everyone on the team is in one of the boxes. I'm the one in the middle and they're all looking at me. So, and everyone's wearing their holiday, holiday garb. Yeah. Everyone's got like either reindeer ears or uh, candy cane ears or something like that. Chris is, uh, he has on a red and green jacket. He doesn't have anything on his head. So he didn't quite go to the extreme of antlers, but he's looking holiday-ish. Okay, hey, that, what else? That, that red and green jacket was a big stretch. Um, <laughs> All right, next slide. So this uh, looks to be something very impressive. This is a photo and it says ACL Fest and it looks like kind of a tech conference. There's a bunch of flags. I'm not sure where this is exactly, uh, but what's this photo, Chris? This is in Austin, Texas. This is about two blocks from where I live when I'm in Austin, where we live when I'm in Austin, when we're in Austin. And uh, this is at the Austin City Limits Music Festival. And this is, uh, sort of yes. the, this is you know, the sun's gone down. They had this cool area where they had all these colorful flags and it was a it was a picture that you know turned out really well well yeah i've heard about this uh this event i've got to get to that i've heard great things about it okay noel do we have another slide okay here is chris with a uh fun laughing expression it says five states eight ceo town halls three days so this is when I was at uh, Loan Depot, the second largest non-bank lender in the country. I was the CEO of the sister company. This is me and Anthony Shea, the founder. And we flew uh, all over the country in, in three days, did eight uh, town hall meetings with, with uh, Loan Depot and Mellow Home team members uh, all over the country. And uh, every day or every, multiple times a day, we did these presentations. It was wow. a lot of fun. Warwin, well, he's an impressive leader in himself. Uh, we'll have yeah. to have you back on another show because I really wanted to dig into your definition of leadership over the years, and we're just going to be running out of time. So that's a whole other topic. But uh, let, let's jump into another slide, uh, Noel. Okay, this is Chris looking. Uh, he's in front of a room. He looks like he's teaching something, and there is a board behind him that has like talk a tic tac toe box, but like times ten. So what's going on here, Chris? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm. This is on the island of Saint Lucia. Uh, we have a call center there uh, with about 450 people in the call center. And this was me uh, when I first joined Ojo, um, going down to St. Lucia and, and uh, talking to all of our, our great um, 
uh, call center reps on the island of St. Lucia. Awesome. Well, That's thanks all. for that, Chris. It gave us a little context of some of the stuff you've done on your journeys. So uh, thank you for playing with that. So I want to wrap up here and talk about, you know, you, you've we've talked a lot about the power of dominant thoughts, tenacity, drive, learning what you don't know by having you're surrounded by other people that maybe have better skills or more accountability than you had in what you're doing and not being afraid to ask for help uh, and really stepping into arenas of you, you, you have the ability to either whether it was a forced transition or a chosen transition, you continue to evolve in new industries, new skills, new leadership. And then in this AI world of artificial intelligence, tapping into technology and trying to understand how that ecosystem works. I'm, I'm curious in the last few minutes we have of the show, I'm always intrigued by AI as well, but I'm also intrigued by spiritual intelligence. You were big at Keller Williams with also personality surveys. Keller was really big about identifying people's personalities and having that connection of what makes somebody tick. So in your own life, I know you're a father and you're a husband and you you have this uh, setting a good example, but what is your definition of spirituality and how do you incorporate that into your daily life uh, and work? Um, that's a good question. One that certainly don't get asked a lot. Um, you know, we all have our own definition, so it's appropriate to ask what mine is, you know, like having a relationship with yourself and with a higher being, whatever you want to call that higher being, and knowing that there's something beyond what we're just doing here now. And there's certain things that happen in your life that either bring you closer or farther from that. You know, I just recently, um, my mom passed away a few months ago and oh, we were sorry. all in San Diego and she has four grandkids, my four kids and my brother's two kids. It really hit me when we were there and over the next few days, all the grandkids were together and they were all telling stories about their grandmother and what they loved about her and what, what they learned and all those things. And it really hit me that, and I, I, you know, this, we, I think most people know this, but sometimes things hit you in a way where it's like really, really becomes obvious as that he made a profound impact on their lives and what they've learned and, and things. And, and that's like, that's the journey. That's why we're here. And that's why I'm here. So for me, it's, you know, how can I be the best person? How can I impact people that I work with, that I work for, that work for me in a way where, you know, hopefully it makes a difference that'll, that'll carry on. Well, I love that. Yeah. And the power of our own legacies of the impact we make on others. And that's a great note to end on. And you clearly, Chris, over the years and what you've done on your own leadership, even though sometimes you were keeping your blinders on thinking you're just doing your thing, people were watching, people were experiencing, people were seeing, hey, this is possible, giving people hope, saying, hey, if he can do it, I can do it. You know, going on to overcome your obstacles and going on to different companies and to businesses and to over your challenges, obviously your own inner strength of uh, making this difference, of making an impact on people which I also believe is a spiritual gift that we're all able to have if we recognize it. How can we make a difference in someone else's life today? How can you create a miracle in someone else's life today? Whether it's a smile, whether it's a hand up, whether it's offering them a job, whether it's a hug, whatever it might be, there are things that we can do in that. So I want to thank you for being on the show. I'm thrilled that you've written this book, Dominant Thoughts, uh, because we all know that the power of our thoughts are what creates our destiny and impact our life and what we want to create. Uh, Chris's book, again, will be in the show notes that you can click on and get this on Amazon or Audible. Uh, and Chris, any closing thoughts uh, for the guests? Hey, Steve, first of all, thank you for having me on. It's been a great conversation. Love to do it again, talk about leadership or whatever else you want. Um, and uh, as far as the book goes, yeah, you can also go to the, the website, dominantthoughts.com to learn more about it. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening in to the Alchemy of Business show. We will be back again talking more about making wiser decisions, finding ways to create greater profit and abundance in your life, and finding higher purpose in what you are here to do on this planet. Thanks for listening in. And that concludes this episode of The Alchemy of Business with your host, Steve Rogers. If you found value in today's broadcast, please consider liking, subscribing, sharing with friends, and leaving a review. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next Thursday for another episode. Be blessed, and see you soon.